Hello everybody and welcome back to my podcast. So, um, I remember I said yesterday that I'll be doing podcasts like every day, but I decided not to. So, so now I think it will be like two days per two episodes per week. So, it could be either like Tuesdays, Thursdays, Saturdays or Sundays, but I don't know. So, anyway now. Let's get right into it. And but before that, I know you might not have thought about why I haven't said Wednesdays and Fridays, but Mondays also I will do this because well um, as you probably as um, um you know in my last in the episode I did before the last episode I had mentioned that I listened to other podcasts so yeah I also want to do my I also want to listen to other podcasts so. But yeah, I'll I'll be doing this every every the time I get. So now let's get back to the story. So the recap was: this Hardys had went to the uh, Whalebone Island, trying to trying to reach their father. But by before they could reach, they saw the lighthouse signal, which said "Danger, keep away, Hardy." So we'll be starting from that. And now chapter five: The Golden Pharaoh. Awestruck by the weird red light signals, the boys sat hunched in their seats as the sleuth plowed onward through the darkness towards Whalebone Island. Joe was the first to break their stunned silence. I don't get it. Was that meant as a warning for us to stay away from the island, or an order to keep us away? What's the difference, moaned Chet. Either way, we are asking for trouble if we go ahead and land on that spooky place. Joe, who knew his friend's Joe, who knew his friend's sterling qualities could be depended upon in a in a tight spot, reached out and gave Chet a reassuring whack. Relax, Strongheart, Joe chuckled. A spook wouldn't stand a chance against a beefy brussel like you. Oh no? Well, I still will be head back to the mainland. Take it easy, Frank said soothingly. Remember, Dad will be on the island to meet us. The Hardys knew from the mystery map and their chart that Whalebone Island was shaped like a crescent. It curved from southwest to northeast, with the outward bulge to the north. Frank steered for, for the southern horn of the crescent. As a splash of breakers told him that they were nearing, nearing land, he cut the engine and allowed the sleuth to drift the rest of the way to shore. An eerie silence lay over the island. It was broken only by the faint sighing of the night breeze and the sounds of the surf. When they had reached the shallows, Joe kicked off its sneakers and climbed over the side to help beach the boat among some reeds. When they were safely ashore, Chet said, Now what? We'll cut across the tip of the island to the cove, cove, Frank said, and meet Dad. The boys made their way over a ridge of dunes, topped by a scrub. On the other side lay the inward curve of a crescent, indented by a sheltered cove near the center. A small blaze flickered on the beach. That's campfire, Joe exclaimed. The boys hurried along the shore, but as they came closer, they could see no one at the fire. Vaguely alarmed, they broke into the sprint, forgetting all caution. Reaching the campfire, they saw that a stoutly built boat with an outboard mo- motor had been drawn up on the sand. Near the fire lay a sleeping bag, supplies, cooking utensils, and a shortwave transceiver. 
That's Dad's radio, said Frank. The boys started about through the darkness. If Mr. Hardy was concealed among the scattered trees and brush, he gave no sign of his presence. Joe gave the Hardy special whistle and repeated it several times, but there was no reply. Hey, maybe he saw those signals and went to the light house to investigate, Joe said in a hushed voice. Perhaps he sent the signals himself to warn us away, Chet conjectured. Could be, said Frank. We'd better go there and take a look. The boys, the brothers had bought powerful flashlights, but used them as little as possible on making their way across the island. The terrain was hummed in with low hills, fringed with patches of stunted oak and pine. At the northern horn of the crescent, the land rose to a rocky eminence topped by whalebone light. Cautiously, the trio approached the forbidding stone tower, trying to keep their feet from scrunching on the grit and gravel. Frank tried the door, then pushed it open. Something blocked the pathway, an obstruction that yielded slightly as he shoved harder. Frank inserted his head and right shoulder into the opening and switched on the flashlight. Dad, he cried out. Joe squeezed in behind his brother and Chet followed. The beam of Frank's flashlight revealed the figure of Mr. Hardy sprawled on the concrete floor. A thin trickle of red from his scalp had clotted across his left temple. Somebody knocked him out, Frank said worriedly. The three squatted down anxiously as Frank checked his father's pulse. It was beating strongly. Joe hurried outside, scrambled to the down to the water's edge and returned a few minutes later with his handkerchief soaked with cold brine. After the boys had applied it to their father's forehead and shaved his wrists, Mr. Hardy began to revive. Joe, Frank, hi, Chet. The detective gave them a rueful smile, then slowly raised himself to a sitting position. What happened, Dad? asked Frank. Mr. Hardy frowned and rubbed his hand over his eyes. Let me see. Oh, yes. Those red light signals from the tower over there, from the tower over here. We saw them too, declared Chet. So did I, from my campsite on the other edge of the island. Mr. Hardy went on slowly. I came over to investigate, entered this doorway, and wham! How do you feel now? You inquired. Not too bad, except for this strobing lump. Lucky for me, I have a thick skull. The boys helped Fenton Hardy to his feet, then began a search on the tower. They checked every floor up to the lantern room, but the asylum had vanished. Wearily, the, de- the detective and, his, and the three youths crumpled back across the island to his camp cove. The fire had long since burned down to glowing embers. After it had burned down, after it had been replenished with driftwood and dry brush, Frank showed his father the cablegram from Egypt and the map, which had been sent through the mail by R. Rogers. What is what's the this pharaoh said you're supposed to be aware of, Dad? asked Joe. It's a solid gold bust of the Egyptian pharaoh or emperor Ramaton Fourth Ramaton the Fourth, valued at one million dollars. Chet let out an odd whistle. A million bucks Wow Where is this head, Mr Hardy? A good question, Chet. The detective replied wryly. I'd better start at the beginning. About two weeks ago, a freighter named the Katawa sank off the coast. Maybe you fellows recall hearing about it in the news. Several of the crew, including the purser, drowned. It was rammed in a fog by some cruise liner. Wasn't it? said Frank. That's right, by the corona. Well, the spot 
where the freighter went down is just a couple of miles north of Whalebone Island. Mr. Hardy explained that the Katawa had been carrying not only cargo but also a dozen passengers, one of them a foreign art dealer named Zufar, who had boarded the ship at Beirut in the Middle East. Zufar was bringing the Golden Pharaoh's head with him, the detective continued, to sell to a customer in New York, and the head was allegedly in the ship's strong room when the Katawa sank. Zufar had launched a claim again with Transbury Underwriters, the island line's insurance company, for a million dollars. The news stories on the sinking never mentioned the pharaoh's head, did they? Just no. A security precaution, Zufar had purposely avoided any publicity about the treasure, and since the sinking, the line has also tried to keep the matter out of the news for the same reason. You said the head was allegedly in the ship's strong room, said Frank. Is there some doubt about it? That's where the mystery comes in, and that's why Transplain has engaged me to investigate the case. Mr. Hardy replied. They've been tipped off that a gold of that a gold head of Ram Ramatan IV is secretly being offered for sale. Was the tip on the level? Joe asked. So far we don't know. I've been checking it out. But may not know the answer until divers get at the Katawa's strong room. Meantime, the tip brings up a number of interesting possibility possibilities. Right, Frank said. The ex that head being offered for sale might be a fake, either that, or the one that went down with the Katawa was a phony. Mr Frank ha Mr Hardy smiled at the rapid fire deductions as Joe added. Maybe the treasure already has been salvaged from the sunken hulk. Jed joined in. Hey, that might not have been in the ship at all. Exactly, said Mr. Frank, Mr. Hardy. It may have been filched from the Katawa back in Beirut or even in Le Havre, France, where she stopped before the, before the crossing to New York. Frank grinned and inquired, How come you were so interested in the legend of Whaleborn Island, Dad? Because I have a feeling it may tie in with this case. Fenton Hardy stirred up the fire, adding, uh, adding, Before we do any more talking, let's have another look at that map. Joe handed him the paper. Hmm, the X mark appears to lie between two hills at the back of this cove, said the detective. Frank bent down to peer at the map. These trees sort of form a narrowhead triangle pointing right at the spot. Miss Hardy rubbed his jaw. I'm wondering if we should investigate now or wait until morning. I'd, I'd feel a lot better knowing who knocked me out and just where he's lurking. If you ask me, there's a good reason for checking out the X mark right now. Suppose something valuable is stashed there, lad. The person who conked you may be after it, and he might just snatch it during the night. You have a point there, son, the detective conceded. Very well, if you're all willing, let's go look. Dousing the campfire, they headed inland. Before the beyond the screen of trees sheltering the cove, the ground rose slightly, then flattening flattened again amid a tangle of brush that made their going difficult in the darkness. Presently, Frank halted and touched his father's arm. Look, there must be th that those must be the three trees, Dad. He his beam moving back and forth showed three scrubby trees, pointed positioned at the, like the points of a triangle. Mr. Hardy nodded. No doubt about it. Those humps on the skyline up ahead are like two shallow hills. The four advanced cautiously past the trees. In a few moments, they came to the brink of a steep ravine cut between the hills. So, for 
most of for so for the people who don't know, a ravine is like a big scratch on the earth, you could say. It goes down to a very deep level, and um, usually there are there are many many mining operations done there because mine minerals such as iron, gold, and coal are very easily available there. So back to the story. They begin clambering down the slope into the gully. Joe shifted his flashlight to his left hand in order to seize hold of some underbrush and steady his descent as a yellow beam veered through the left bank of the ravine. He let out a startled yell. Look, there's somebody! The others turned hastily, but the figure had darted out of sight. Where did he go? Mr. Hardy asked. Among their shrubbery. I didn't get a good look, but he, Joe's words were drowned out by a terrific blast. The left wall of the ravine exploded with shattering force. Okay, so guys, um, that's it for chapter 5. So, um, be on the lookout for chapter uh, for chapter 6. Uh, because I may be posting one on Saturday or Sunday. But who knows, I might even post it today. Because I got some more time. So, yeah, I'll be ending this episode. Be sure to check out for more. And so follow me if you like. And so yeah, that's it. So thank you. Bye.